Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Signal Fire Radio. When you hear that song, just know that band, A Day to Remember, is teeing us up, Evan Anderson, the Muscle Hamster, for a show to remember. See what I did there? It won't be forgotten. It won't be forgotten. It won't be forgotten. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Rob Renz, Marine Corps veteran, entrepreneur, business owner, and number one overall good guy, as voted on by my wife and daughters. I'm joined today... As Joe laughs behind the glass by Evan Anderson a, and my a good friend. Thick layer. A thick layer. My good friend, Matt. I have an MBA my lot. How are you today, Matthew? Good. Got good. my MBA. Good, man. <laughs> good. What's going on, dude? Just glad to be here. Glad to be here. Two dudes that I love. Yep. Yeah. There is a ton of bro love that happens on this show. So Bromance. Bromance. Thick, thick in the air. But all people, not a girl guy thing. As as the wonderful Maui from the movie Moana would say, which Matt and I are keenly aware of because we are girl dads, which is something we'll probably get into at some point girl today. Well, Evan's, yeah, Evan's girl a dads. girl dad. We're girls' dads. Girls' yeah, dads, that's, that's right, like sergeant's major. Right. Right. Okay, I got it. I got it. Well, enough of the shenanigans. If this is your first time joining us, we want to welcome you to Signal Fire Radio. The three of us are uh, military veterans. Well, actually, Evan, you are a, what was the term that you BSC. used? BSC. Active what, veterans did, still did I no. Did I say still, active veterans? Still active, serving veterans? Still serving veterans? Still serving know. veteran? And what we do here on Signal Fire Radio is that we believe that the veteran community is some is a community that can be looked at to make real positive change for ourselves, for our friends, for our families, and for the community at large. And we have an amazing guest today who has I think he's only had two jobs in his entire life: twenty years Marine Marine Corps Special Forces, and now the Honor Foundation. Which Evan, you're about to be. A cohort or a fellow in the upcoming cohort of the Honor Foundation. It's, it's probably the thing that I'm most excited about for during my transition, and and one of the things that means the most to me. Um, and just just in talking with some of the the people who have graduated the program, and some of the instructors, and uh, some of the mentors through there, I I can't wait to start. Tell us tell us a little bit about uh, from your understanding. We'll hear more from Dave Polaris when he joins us about what it is exactly that the Honor Foundation is what they do and how they support transitioning guys right. like yourself. So, so from my understanding, the Honor Foundation is, is a, a program that assists with the transition process. So the, the DOD offers a process, but unfortunately due to their contract obligations and restrictions, there are some gaps. And the Honor Foundation helps to fill those gaps. Just one say of, it, it's subpar. One of the radically. things, you know, the Department of Defense uh, is limited sometimes. And one of the things that the Honor Foundation does is to help fill those gaps. And Something that I've noticed as I'm traveling through my transition, um, having gone to some of the, the transition assistance program classes, is that you never take the time to step back and learn who you are. Mm -hmm. They tell you how to write a resume. They tell you how to prep for an interview. They tell you what keywords to use so you get past the applicant tracking system. You know, But they never take the time to have you take a step back and realize, okay, I'm, I'm Staff Sergeant Anderson in the Army, right? But who's Evan? I'm this guy who goes to PT in the morning, and then I go to work, and then I go home, and everybody who's in the military knows that you never, you never really turn it off, right. right? Like you're always in the military, 
you carry your rank, you carry your status. Even you when carry, you're off base, you're it, still on base. Exactly. Because you might run into, yeah. Exactly. You never know. And in, and in towns where there's a lot of military people, like ours. Every, everybody's in the military. Yeah. So um, one of the things that the Honor Foundation does that I'm, I'm incredibly interested in is, is peeling back the military, peeling off the rank and, and, and the structure that you're used to and dis- rediscovering who you are. Yeah. You know, this has been my only job for the last 13 years. So I, you know, there's been times when I've completely lost my identity and, you know, if I don't, if I don't know who I am, how am I going to be an effective employee of any organization? How can I be an effective entrepreneur? How could I be an effective father? You know, if I don't know who I am, and that's one of the things that I'm most excited about with the Honor Foundation is, is kind of peeling back those complexities and unpacking a lot of what's been, uh, you know, for, for lack of a better term, indoctrinated into right. us with the military like so. leo dicaprio and the departed they're gonna come get you because mm. you've been under for way too long exactly. and they're gonna they're gonna re rebuild you i we might get my cast smashed yeah. with a boot but, yeah yeah so i've gotten to i've gotten to and, and matt i want to talk to you about this a little bit too as well i've this has been my first my first go i coached with the honor foundation and you're spot on because you know my transition much like yours matt it was it wasn't very thought out it wasn't planned um, and so, you know, I went through taps and they shook my hand and said, Hey son, you're no longer a Marine. Right. And so you get out and then you try to find what to do next. What I love about what the honor foundation does, and I've got to witness it now as a coach is the first thing you do is exactly what you talked about. I and mean, they do Clifton strengths. Um, and Dave will certainly talk more about this, but, but to help you piece together about what is your personal why mm-hmm. and, and what type of work should you be doing based off of that, Matt, you know, we've talked about your you moving from Marine to cop and from Virginia to California a couple times on this show. Talk to me about what you think now that you're, you know, 10 years removed from it. Plus, how would something like that have benefited you before you went on to being a police officer? Would you have even been a police officer, do you think, if you had had something like the Honor Foundation that would have would have really dug deep into who you are and who you want to be? Right. Um, no. I mean, it certainly would have been a possibility. Matt would, but have, Matt would have invented Coachella. He would have, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I think he did invent uh, Burning Man, actually. <laughs> Burning Man. We're going to yeah, have to get the Burning Man story out of you at been some a, point. Been a Burning Man twice. Jumped that's a great par- part of your process. Parachuted into Burning Man. Free fly. All right. All right. We're going to do that. Um, but no, it, the easiest way for me to say it is from what I have over the last year and a half watched happen through cohorts and through close friends that have gone through THF, they accomplish insight and and um, perspective that has taken me probably 15 years to get where I'm at now. Right. Just because I, just like you said, it, w- it wasn't thought out. It, it wasn't a um, a sequential process of personal enrichment and development. And um, yeah, I would have absolutely loved it because not only did it take th- way more time for me to really find who I am, and I'm still finding who I am. But there's a lot of heartache and hardships that go with that, you know, relational ones, family, you know, your your my wife. I mean, the things that that we have endured radically could have been circumvented by going through a process right. and experience like THF. I do have one question: Is yeah. there not a height requirement for THF? I don't candidates? think there is. I don't think apparently. There is a height I mean, Evan, you're no, in. So I, I sit on a I sat on a booster seat in yeah. my interview with Halty, so he couldn't tell how short I was. And luckily, it's over Zoom, so yeah. I just. You know, I, I lower the camera so I, they can't tell that I'm actually. Did you? Did you with the Zoom interview? Did you go party on top? 
you know, silky shorts. I call it. Down low. I call it the Zoom mullet. Okay. So I'm I'm business formal up yeah. top, rugby on the bottom. Yeah. I don't know if that's gonna fly with Polaris here in the room with this in a little bit. I <laughs> he's, mean, I think he's, he's he's on to me now. He's already he's taking copious. Yeah, he's already got his notepad out, and he's like, I don't think this this Anderson kid is gonna make it all the way through. I know. I might have just I might have just got my application plucked right yeah, there. Maybe. You know? Maybe. Sorry, son. We don't have any more room for you here. Our client <laughs> roster is full. Well, you know what I want to uh, dive into topics of our show today um, is going to be the importance of the tribe. You know, and I think what my involvement with Dave and with the Honor Foundation, they do just an amazing job of, of getting former special forces from all branches of service and saying, hey, we're going to tuck you like that, like that Drill Bit Taylor movie with Owen Wilson. I'm going to put you right underneath mm-hmm. this wing here. Um, and, then, and then assimilating you back into the real world. You know, like you said, no longer Staff Sergeant Anderson. He dropped rank on you, by the way, when he did that. But, oh, God. But, but becoming Evan again and, and being comfortable with going by your first name. Right. But then also having a vast network of people that are, you know, associated with the Honor Foundation, sure. whether they're former fellows or they're coaches or they're just people who can help get stuff done for yeah. you. And having people who have gone through the same process as yeah. me with the same the same outlook, people who have been on longer timelines, people who have been on more compressed timelines and still manage to figure it out. And right. that's, that's what helps me is just being able to gather other people's experiences right. and learn from them. So let's talk a little bit about that because you've done a good job and this has been, you know, 2020's year of COVID. Uh, and well, actually this will be coming out in 2021. So we'll have to chop that. Um, but uh, 2021 is the year, was the year of COVID. Year shaped by COVID. Shaped by COVID. The year shaped by COVID. But you did a good job, Evan. I think of networking well in advance and kind of building out what your new tribe could look like. That's how you came to know Matt and I. So, yeah. you know, give us some insight on why you did that. Was that your own? You just did it yourself, or you had a mentor, say, get in touch with some people? Yeah, it's a little of both, I guess. You know, they, I've always been in the mindset that your your network is your net worth, you know, the old that old standby. I think that um, came from Dale Carnegie or I, something. I'm not yeah. sure. Tried and true, it was, baby. It could have been, but, um, you know, it's in the so Army. Google that for us. In the you? Army, in the military, it's it's the old, you know, it's not it's not what you know, it's who you know type of thing. And I don't think the civilian world is any any different um, nope. from, from what I've understood so far. So I started to reach out to some people and I'm so fortunate to have been plucked up early on in my process by Mary Kate Saliva, mm-hmm. a dear friend of mine Shout who's out. also going to she's going to be in the January cohort Good. of of the Honor Foundation with me. We went to selection together back in the day mm-hmm. so we've had each other's backs for for years, right? Um she grabbed me early in my process and was like, "Hey, here's some resources, start making these connections." Um you know, I I got more active on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. which has been huge. Uh, in terms of networking, just reaching out. Um, I am still planning on moving to Columbia, South Carolina, Robert. So, you know, just reaching out down there and, and figuring out um, sort of who was who in, in the, the field that I wanted to pursue and, and figuring out what, what sort of jobs and what I'm interested in are, are available and what, mm-hmm. what life is like for someone who's in that field, you yeah. know, and, and being able to, to build upon that network. And through that network, I've, I've gathered, you know, coaches, counselors, mentors, like we're supposed to do, right? right? Like I don't, I don't, you know, I'm 30. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up still. Do have a question about that. You are 30. So you were born in 1990? 90. Ooh, buddy. Mm. Ooh. Transgenerational divide here because you're 80. I'm 80, not 80 years old. Born in the year 1990, correct? 40. Yeah, 40. 40. Okay. 1940? Hash, <laughs> hashtag uh, 
Matt needed an age waiver to Oof. be. Hey, um, just to make a note, Staff Sergeant Anderson. I oh, picked up Staff shit. Sergeant in 2007. So. <laughs> and also yeah. went to OCS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I went to OCS, so I got that going for me. Matt, so let's let's talk about this, because Evan, Evan is doing a great job of building his network out while he's still in the military. Did you do that immediately after you got out? No. Okay. No, as a matter of fact, I mean, as far as developing my network, it wasn't even a thought until eight years post-Marine Corps when I was leaving my then law enforcement career to pursue something else other than toting a gun. Um, so it's only been within the last six years that I've even really started understanding the concept and the value of what a network is and how to leverage it. So this how is was, all still pretty new to me. How has that changed your life in the six years that you've been committed to it? Well, it brought me to you. Well, we all know that that's a life-changing experience. So um, No, I just add <laughs> it is. And for those of you that have never seen Robert Renz in person. Oh, they will, because they're going to go to signalfire.media and watch this through our YouTube channel. Shameless. <laughs> Shameless. Um, no, adding to what Evan said, it's, he, he was exactly right. Just who you know. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, I, I have a sister who's uh, pretty successful in the finance industry that um, once I left law enforcement, she, she kind of helped walk me on target a little more accurately saying, dude, you got to change a bunch of this. I read your resume, and I feel like I'm reading – Conan the Barbarian or something. Um, so that was kind of the impetus. Match shoot good. Match shoot good. <laughs> really good. Um, but no, it, it is who you know. The job that I have right now, I'm, you know, I, I work at the Swain Center for Executive Education at UNCW. I have that job because of somebody that I knew. Mm. Prior to that, I was in healthcare sales for like two, three years between law enforcement and working at the university. I got that through one of my very close friends who was mm -hmm. also in healthcare sales. You know, none of it was as a result of I, I was applying for a job. So, I mean, honestly, my successes professionally in the last six years are 100% as a result of my network. There's something that's uh, going unsaid, too, that I want to bring some attention to is that um, your personal brand is super important. And, and I think at some point we should probably do a show just based all around personal branding. Absolutely. And, and the reason this came to my head, Matt, is because I, I you get mad at me because I'm making all of your friends my friends. You know, you've you've sent me more than <laughs> one disparaging text message where he's like, dude, that's my friend. Back <laughs> off, bro. Um, and because I'm a better networker than you. And uh, you are. I'm just teasing. No, I'm you just are. on that. But but everybody that I talk to loves you and has a great thing to say about you. And it's true. That's your true, genuine, authentic self. But talk to me about like your brand. Who is Matt Mylot? What would they say about you when you leave the room? and your network and why those two things are super important when, when doing exactly what's Evan doing, Evan is doing, cause he's building up his personal brand and his network at the same time. At the end of the day. And I, I have pretty strong confidence that anybody that knows me pretty well would say that my deepest passion is people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, at the end of the day, worst case scenario, I could get so much joy out of just a five minute conversation with somebody that I've never seen before. No, will ever see again. Mm -hmm. um, but the people around me um, know that I'm, I'm passionate about my friendships and my relationships. I, I honestly, I don't have any, anybody that I would call friend. I, I honestly feel comfortable saying I love you. And obviously I mean that from a, you know, a, a brother perspective, but um, I mean, my deepest passion are the people around me and that I surround myself with. And I think Rob and Evan, both you guys, you guys are, um, you epitomize that. So anybody that knows me would say Matt's brand is, you know, engagement, fellowship with, you know, like-minded, better-minded people, you know? It's, it's funny you say that because, Evan, every time I call Matt, he's like, yeah, I just left my besties. And uh, it's always a different person. Yeah. 
So literally everybody so, so is Matt's bestie. Bestie is not a person, Robert. It's a tier. It's a, it's a <laughs> level. Oh, right? Do you say that about me when, like, oh, yeah. No, I just left Rob. You know, that, that probably I just left the golden the Italian You're God. above the tier. Perfect segue that's going to take us right into our first break. And on the back end, we're going to have Dave Polaris from the Honor Foundation uh, join us to talk about pa- his passion for people and servant leadership and emotional intelligence. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back with our guest, Dave Polaris from the Honor Foundation, right here on Signal Fire Radio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Signal Fire Radio. We are joined by one of my favorite people in this town, Dave Polaris from the Honor Foundation. Dave, how are you? Good, man, good. So before we get going, because we got a lot of great stuff we're going to talk to you about. Sure. You know, as we were coming back in, we had a little bit of punk rock music playing. Are you a fan of punk rock? I am. I'm not a... I wouldn't say a super fan. I okay. Don't, I don't get into the, a lot of the history, but I grew up skating in Richmond, and that was kind of that scene. Yeah. So I love it, because for those of you that are watching this on the YouTube channel, uh, you will notice that you are decked out in Vans. Vans tee, <laughs> actual Vans shoes. Yeah, okay. Matt, Matt's all Vans, too. So y'all were talking about <clears throat> ages. I'm, I was born in 74, so when, when Vans was really hitting the street on the East Coast, that was, like, that was the new heat in, in the skate scene, and so I was – Vans all the way, and then um, luckily it's it's actually stood the test of yeah. time, and and it's back in strength. So yeah, I rock Vans. I love it. I love it. Matt Matt had the most egregious pair of Vans I've ever seen in my entire life last night. Matt, tell them about tell them about those Vans that you were wearing. They're peach in color, <laughs> and um, they just have like the Vans off the wall logo in various sizes. They're very non militaristic. Yeah, very non militaristic. Well, here we are at uh, on Signal Fire Radio. Not only do we talk about mind, body, spirit, and tribe, but also we give some skater shoe fashion tips. There you go. Yeah, dropping real value. There you go. Shout out to uh, the skate barn in Hampstead. Yes. Oh yeah. Awesome skate skate parks. What would it take to get you to drop into the pool right now? Nothing. Well, the pool. Yeah. No, it would take a lot, a lot of alcohol, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, the pool is a little, little too. Uh, a little too steep for me. I love it, man. I love it. Well, dude, thanks for being here. Um, you know, our, our paths crossed maybe six or seven months ago sure. um, through Lindsay, who's going to be on the show yep. with us and just an amazing person that we could probably say millions of good things about. But, um, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about you. You spent 20 years in the Marines and yep. then immediately went to the Honor Foundation. Like, just take us from stepping on the yellow footprints to now. Sure. Uh, and just to clarify, uh, I wasn't a badged Raider, uh, so, but I was lucky enough to spend the majority of my time in the Marine Corps, in the, in the Force Reconnaissance, and then Marsoc community when that rolled around. So um, Kill. just to clarify that for all the guys out there, there'll shoot me some hate texts. Yeah, they're going to. Uh, but, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I was, I was absolutely privileged to be a part of that community. Um, so in 98, when I was graduating college, um, had, had life happen to me, and I was like, you know what, forget this. I'm not going to. I was going to be a fireman because all my buddies and I, we grew up being in the fire department, and when you talk about where I really learned my first true tribe or my pack that I was running with. It right. was in the fire department, volunteer fire department, rescue squad. Um, so I was going to be a fireman, but life happened, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go and kill every bucket list thing that I got right now uh, while I can. And being in the Marine Corps, my family uh, had a strong history in, in service, and my grandfather on my dad's side was a retired senior chief. My dad was in the Marine Corps, and so I was like, I'm going to go enlist in the Marine Corps. Of course, my grandfather looked at me and was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Spent all this time. My mother was like, I didn't pay all this money for you to go enlist in the Marine yeah, Corps. Yeah. So I said, no, uh, if I'm going to lead, I want to know what it's like to be led. Uh, 
which in retrospect, because I took the first available contract, which was Motor T, and then in retrospect, when I've got a staff sergeant, you know, kill, you know, telling me to go bust rust on a on a fuel tank all day long, I was like, what am I doing? It's a little beneath me. Yeah, well, no, I mean, but it was just like it was feeling the pain of like I'm on the bottom rung here. When I got when I got my uh, my um, when I got promoted to Lance Corporal, that was like the best day ever because I had two guys that I could tell what to do, right? <laughs> so, but then uh, a year later, uh, I worked with the OSO because I knew pretty much my path was pretty set to go to OCS. So I worked with the OSO, and a year later, I went to OCS. And then from 98, uh, or I'm sorry, 99 till uh, 2018, I was a communications officer in the Marine Corps. And I hit the, hit the fleet uh, in 2000 and was on deployment when, when uh, 9-11 hit. And so it got really sporty really quick mm-hmm. uh, from, for the next eight years or so. And then, you know, did the majority of my time just seven on, seven off, traveling back and forth. Um, and that's it, during that time is when I was uh, able to get into the Force Reconnaissance community. And then uh, in 06, 05, 06 is when they, Rumsfeld came down and said, hey, you boys are going to carve out uh, some soft capability. I was at the battalion, 2nd Battalion, when that happened. So I was able to transition and do two more years there. Then because I was an officer, they crapped me back to the fleet and uh, spent eight years out of the soft community. And then I was able to come back in 16 and spend my last two years um, uh, in the G6 at MARSOC. Mm. So supporting the guys that were out there doing great things for our country. Yeah, so you were in a pressure cooker for a long time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It was cool. How many total pumps did you make? So I did um, six deployments or six, you know, overseas-type deployments. I did uh, – the first one, the initial push to Iraq, I was in Kuwait. And then when I came back is when I got um, put into Second Force Reconnaissance Company. And I did two deployments to Iraq with them. Then when we transitioned to MARSOC, I did one deployment to Afghanistan with Gulf Company. And then prior to that, I did a, a med float. You remember what those are? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was, the, that was the heat back in the day before 9-11. I did a med float and was in Kosovo when 9-11 happened. And then I did one little you know, month and a half overseas type deal, which, yeah. was, which was easy. So. Matt, which recon battalion were you in? Second. Second? Did mm-hmm. you guys know each other? No, I was there before him. Okay. Yeah. And then and then I lateraled over to LAR when the Marine Corps was trying to figure things out. Making <laughs> make some make it some life changes? Yeah. yeah. Actually, I ended up really appreciating and loving LAR. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so Dave, uh, straight from the Marine Corps to the Honor Foundation, was yeah. there a period in between that you that you took a break? Or? No, I... I Retired, had my retirement ceremony on Friday, and I was actually at the Purple Heart Dinner representing THF that Saturday night, wow. <laughs> and then went straight to work on Monday. Um, so yeah, no break, which I don't recommend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there needs to be a little bit of decompression, and that's what THF provides in 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 some manner. Uh, but um, but yeah, Friday and Monday, uh, Marine, and then THF civilian. You have had a chance to take a vacation since then, right? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> True servant leader never never really stops, though, right? Yeah, well, it's been pretty hectic. You know, uh, Marine Raider Foundation gave us a grant uh, because there were raiders on the West Coast that were taking taking advantage of the campus in San Diego. And uh, Andy Christian, who is the executive director for the Marine Raider Foundation, uh, graduated from that campus and said, the lion's share of MARSOC guys are on the East Coast. Let's give them a grant to open up the campus. So right. they were good enough to give us a grant to open up the East Coast campus, and it just the timing lined up perfect. Um, Ryan Evans, my comm chief, when I was in the G6, uh, so shout out to Mongo. He's still he he's retired and is doing great things in the G8 there now. 
But uh, he was in the G6, and he goes, hey, look into this, because he knew Andy. He was like, look into the, the Honor Foundation. I was lucky enough while I was on active duty to be able to pay out of my own pocket and go on a trek with them and then kept in contact with them. And when they, Mongo came back and said, hey, dude, they're putting a campus here. You need to apply as the director. And, and they accepted me. And, you know, 16, uh, we've just been building ever since. Yeah. So really trying to get the word out there that, especially in the Wilmington area, that there are, you know, one part of the SOCOM, you know, team is headquartered just a few minutes up the road right. in Sneeds Ferry. And these are highly talented, highly um, uh, motivated action guys that when they get out, think that they can't stay here locally because there's no opportunities, which is completely false. And everybody knows that. Right. Um, and that's part of what I've been trying to do. And now Lindsay coming on, really professionalizing uh, our program here. That we're really working to gain access and provide access to our fellows here. She gives it such a great touch, man. It's like you got she all does. these high impact, you know. <laughs> she's the finesse, I'm the muscle. So <laughs> she makes it look good. And she is, she's, I mean, you'll, you'll hear more. I won't, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about her all day long, but she, you'll, you'll know the moment she sits down that, you know, she is, you know, top notch. Yeah. Yeah. So you got, you know, Evan was talking about, he's getting ready to go through the next cohort starting yeah. in January. Um, and uh, so, what would you, you know, tell him if you're having a one-on-one, -on -one, what should he be preparing for as he gets ready to go through the Honor Foundation? Well, you know, there's really not a whole lot of preparation because we really take you from soup to nuts, as we used to say. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, so there's really nothing to prep. You just got to really get your personal life and professional life, if you're still on active duty, in a situation where you can provide the time and the effort needed to really take advantage of the program. So, uh, you know, depending on where you're, where you're at, uh, to your, at in regards to your EAS, so if you're like 12 to 18 months out, uh, if you're inside that 12-month mark, it gets really hectic, as we all know, you know, with medical. And the Marine Corps is going to ride you till the last day. Yeah. So as long as you get everything, you know, put your execution checklist together and get everything set up to where you can devote 100% of your time, and not 100%, but – to devote the time and the attention necessary to the program, then that's really all the preparations needed. And, and then, then and then be vulnerable and keep an open mind because yeah. we do, as Evan was saying, we do ask you to do a lot of things that never done before in the 13 years, I think he said, in the 20 years for me. Uh, we ask you to be vulnerable. We ask you to talk about yourself yeah, and not Some your of that team. deliberate discomfort. And, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and just – be comfortable in adopting this new mentality. Some of the stuff won't stick, and that's fine. Uh, but the stuff that does is really going to benefit you. Right, right. So, uh, Evan, man, tell me about how you're preparing to to be deliberately uncomfortable. Well, like I think I think exactly what Dave said is it's a lot about just keeping an open mind and, and understanding that that they're there to help us and teach us. And this is something that I feel so fortunate to be a part of because even five years ago, stuff like this wasn't available. And, and talking to people who have, who have transitioned a long time ago or even transitioned recently, it's like they don't take this step because, you know, Dave said it, the, the Marine Corps is going to ride you every, every day till you get out. Yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in, in a unit where they're like, hey, take this time. This is your transition. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm being afforded the opportunity to own my journey. And, and, um, you know, that's not a lot of people get that opportunity. So I'm, I'm just trying to take advantage of, of everything available to me. I can't help but laugh when I hear you say that Evan and, and, and Dave, um, 
I, I have two close friends that that went through one of the recent cohorts um, with THF, and uh, I, I was talking to Derek one day, and um, I said, "Hey, dude, uh, you know, are are you going to be available next week?" And he's like, "Yeah, man, I'm doing an internship at a law firm in Wilmington." I was like, "You're active duty. How how the <laughs> hell are you doing?" He's just like, "Oh, dude, things have changed." <laughs> I was taking a nighttime welding class at the community <laughs> college right out the front gate of Camp Lejeune. And my executive officer at the company I was in when I was getting out would not even let me not go to the field when we were doing a, a shoot package. Yeah. So I literally, I was told I couldn't even go to my welding class because yeah. I had to be on the field. It's so like, that, that's an important distinction because a lot of things have changed. The DOD, to Evan's point, you know, they're not tasked nor do they have the capacity to really, you know, ferry you off into your, into the great unknown when you leave, leave active duty. And I don't blame them for it. I mean, that's, you know, they're, the Marine Corps is there to make Marines and win battles. Right. Everything else is like, we'll get to it if we can get to it. Um, right. So, but now there's so many opportunities and I just, a shout out to you, Rob. I mean, you're the most unselfish and just, um, generous advocate for veterans here locally that Thank I know you. of that's really reaching out and trying to provide access to all these different things that veterans can, can benefit from in their transition. So I just want to make sure I said that, um, and everybody knows that. I feel that way. But, um, you know, SkillBridge and so many other programs are there, and the DOD is now take, uh, recognizing that and saying, well, all we need to do is give them some time off prior mm. to EAS. Hey, hey, commanders, let's, let's make sure that happens. Give them a little bit of time off, maybe, and it's on the government's dime, I believe, for SkillBridge. Uh, give them the time off on our dime to go out there and make sure they're successful. Because what happens is, and I'm only going to say this from my perspective, I don't know if there's any data to back this up, but when guys leave active duty and they're not plugged into a tribe where they're running as fast with the same amount, the same level of fellow individuals mm -hmm. or wolves that they were running with before, um, and then they're giving given extra time to try to figure stuff out on their own, which... You know, there's so much anxiety involved in transition, number one, leaving that identity, and then number two, having to figure it all out on your own. That's when the bad habits and bad things start creeping right. in. So if you start filling those gaps early, then then you prevent a whole lot of that. So you, you shared a story with me a couple weeks ago about the patron saint of war, uh, <laughs> Mr. I guess he is Mr. The Honorable General Secretary, yeah. Secretary General Mattis. Now he's got a man's got a million titles sure. <laughs> that you could use. Um, and I want you to tell that story. But also, you know, you touched on something where commanders are now having a little bit more emotional intelligence about the people that are going to be transitioning yeah. and trying to trying to not get as much out of you up to the minute that you're leaving your command. Tell us that story about General Mattis. Yeah, so this is uh, secondhand. I worked for a guy that actually was on General Mattis' staff um, in Iraq, and um, and he went out on, out on a leader's recon, recon with him. Shout out to LAR. Hey. Uh, so uh, for anybody out there that doesn't know what an LAV is, um, it's kind of like a, a light tank. It's wheeled. It's not tracked, and it has a smaller gun, but still a bad gun. It's a I think 30 millimeter, 25 millimeter 20, Bushmaster chain gun. There you go. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Things bad. He'll give you the rate of speed. But it's a, it's a it's a high-speed vehicle that allows commanders the opportunity to do things like leaders recon, which is push forward of, of the lines and see what's out there so they can build better situational awareness. So he was on this, and they have a better comm suite, so um, he's all plugged in to talk to people he needs, needs to talk to. So he was telling me that they went on this leader's reconnaissance, and they were driving down a highway, or what we would call an MSR, and they were, about, they were either coming off a ramp or going on an on-ramp, 
And as they were coming off this ramp, down the, the other MSR was a, was a tank in a blocking position, was a Marine tank in a blocking position. And I don't know, and he didn't, he didn't insinuate whether it was the kid was just had, you know, was trigger happy or got nervous or whatever, but when he saw, uh, he didn't know it was the general's LAV, <laughs> but when he saw the LAV, he um, indiscriminately fired off one round on his 50 cal uh, from the upgun position. And, uh, and the, uh, of course, the LAV stopped. And this was the moment where you would think, you know, a typical commander in the field would go over and be like, you're oh, yeah. relieved, you're fired, I want your command, I want everybody in front of me. And he said, it almost brought a tear to his eye because General Mattis got down out of the LAV, told the LAV to stay there. He walked down the MSR uh, to this tank, and he asked the kid to come off the tank. The kid come off the, came off the tank, and he said, all I saw was the general turn around, put his arm around this kid's shoulder, and walk with him and just talk with him. And then uh, as, after he was done talking with him, he turned him back around, kind of you know, pat him on the back, get back up on the tank, let's get back at it. Yeah. And then got back on the LAV oh and took God. off. And, and This is awesome. And that is – and General Mattis, give me a call whether that story is <laughs> true or not. But uh, I can give you the staff officer's name that told me, which is a good guy. I have no reason to doubt it. And, and knowing the stories about, this, about General Mattis is I, I completely believe that story because that's the kind of leader he was. Mm -hmm. he, had, he had the knowledge not only because he's been there and done that and understands the mistakes that he probably made in the past – and it gets to that sympathy and empathy. You know, empathy is, some, is we can understand the pain you're going through and the mistakes you're making because we've been there, done it. I believe that's the definition. And sympathy is I haven't been there and done that, but I can, I can kind of feel what you're going through, you know, right. without actually being there. So to totally empathetic in that situation to that young Marine who made a bad mistake that could have got him fried or even gotten somebody killed. And the general just came up and said, hey, you made a mistake. It all happens to the best of us. Get back on there. Don't do it again. And it goes to what he said before we crossed the line of departure in Iraq. He said, before you engage your weapons, engage your brain. Mm. And that can be said to anybody in any scenario. Before you open your mouth or make a decision that has implications in other people's life, engage your brain first and really think it out. Matt, real quick, because we're up against a break, uh, and I, we want to unpack this a lot more, Dave, because there was so much value in what you just uh, yeah. said. I agree. You're the Lance Corporal. You see General Mattis walking down to you. What? How is that making you feel? <laughs> like I'm just staring down at the gates of hell, closing in on yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the true definition of a signal fire and exactly what it is that we stand for. And, and that's why we do what it is that we do. We have these conversations because, you know, we can learn from these other leaders and we can be those leaders. We can show that leadership in some capacity to our community. So uh, don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to finish up with Dave, who's got just, I mean, I've got goosebumps right now just chatting with him. So stick with us. We'll be back right here on Signal Fire Radio. We are here with our guest, Dave Polaris. Uh, all-around good dude, 20-year Marine. Now, Director of People, is that the correct title? Director of Programs. Director of Programs uh, with the Honor Foundation. And, you know, as we were going into the break, you told just an amazing story about emotional intelligence and um, what, what I can only view as a positive step in the right direction for our military in general. Um, uh, that, that General Mattis showed some real leadership and. Talk to us about how you think that mindset, if you will, will serve us 
or our military or our, our armed forces better in the future if we have more leadership like that? Well, I mean, it's one of the tenets of being a good leader of Marines is knowing your men and knowing yourself and seeking, you know, to better both of those relationships, the relationship with yourself. And I think we kind of take it, take it uh, for granted uh, being form, former service members because even from day one we're taught those tenets and we're taught those principles of good leadership. So it almost comes second nature to us. So when we come out into the civilian world and everybody's doing cheetah flips about emotional intelligence and, you know, how to be a better emotionally intelligent person, we're just like, are we missing something here? And it's like, no, 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 no. They're talking about all the stuff we were learning from day one, which no hit on the civilian community or anything like that. But in order to be a good leader of Marines, and I only stick to that, not saying that I was a good leader of Marines, uh, but in order to do that, you have to you have to know everything about them, and you have to really know what makes them tick and uh, and what's going to motivate them and what's going to demotivate them. And I think it goes both ways. They got to know the same thing about their leadership. I mean, emotional intelligence is not a one way street; it's an up, down, and sideways, right? So, um, so I, I think it just continues to serve us, especially when we're dealing with a new community of individuals that we're not used to dealing with. It's like, hey, you know, we're plucking you out of, you know, the Rockies where you were, <laughs> you were running, running uh, through the wilds of the Rockies with this wolf pack, and now we're putting you on, you know, the eastern seaboard right. in a wholly, whole different environment with different people. And now it just you need to take time to learn that environment so that you can adapt. Yeah. Now, Matt, you, your profession, your real job uh, – when you're not doing radio with me is, is kind of based around emotional intelligence and, and uh, prefers, professional and personal development. Um, and Dave just touched on something about maybe the, the rest of our community outside of the, the military community might be a little bit behind on this concept. Is that something that you've seen through, through just doing your day-to-day job? Yeah, definitely. Um, emotional intelligence, I would say if we had to categorize the top, three largest needs. And I think it's important to note that I, I do business development for the executive education center at the university here in Wilmington. Um, but I work with organizations that need to bring in third parties to help them address different avenues of opportunity for growth and development within their ranks. Um, but I would say emotional intelligence specifically easily ranks in the top three of the most like in demand platforms that they need growth and enrichment in. Um, and adding to what Dave was saying earlier, um, I, I look back on my experiences, you know, being, you know, in the older Marine Corps from, you know, the young pups like you and Evan. Mm, yeah. Um, but so many of my experiences that heavily affected my future role in the Marine Corps was influenced by people that in my eyes radically lacked yeah. m- any sort of emotional intelligence. How so? You know? uh, well, the, the, the easiest one for me to describe is what I was just indicating earlier, like <clears throat> being out, you know, on Liberty, which means you're not working, you're off work, being off base and being in your normal civilian clothes. And I would, I, I literally recall an incident where there is a, a young Marine, very obviously wearing a hat inside a blockbuster video, which is Don't where the older guys. Movie. Yeah. We used to go actually rent movies that were in VHS things, big boxes. Um, but this older salty looking angry probably gunny or master guns literally approaches this dude who doesn't know him from anybody and proceeds to like light him up in in, a blockbuster in blockbuster yeah not on base even and not in uniform 
And I looked at that and I said, that is what's seriously wrong with Marine Corps. And it, you know, and, and fast forward to when I was transitioning out, I, I saw so many Marines transition out because they had experiences like that. And, you know, looking at the role that emotional intelligence is, you know, increasingly playing in, in the processes and the practices of, of the military. I mean, it's profoundly impactful from what I would imagine. Yeah. Dave, what are the consequences, you know, with something like that, that story that he just shared where it's like, this guy was out looking for a scalp, right? You know, it, compared to what General Mattis did in the story that you told earlier? Yeah, well, your credibility is shot. So my, and, and I learned this, I was a big advocate, and I think it comes from my enlisted roots, or, you know, the one year I spent enlisted, is I was a huge advocate of, um, of taking the advice from my older staff NCOs, the ones that I knew were credible and had a really good reputation, really gaining guidance from them. So there were many times where I would grab my master guns, uh, ops chief and be like, Hey, this is a struggle I'm having. How would you go about fixing it? But yeah, so it, it just, it ruins that individual's credibility and credibility and respect is something once it's gone, it takes forever to get back yeah. and everybody knows that. Right. But to your point, man, and I've, I've seen that happen a ton of times and get ha handled inappropriately. And I'm ashamed to say that, I, you know, once or twice I, I handled myself probably not right. Um, um, but usually, but usually those guys that are doing that on the on the reg <laughs> are probably a lot weaker than we would put them out to be mentally yeah. or mentality wise. Right. I, I know the old saying is, you know, you find the loudest guy in the room and he's probably the weakest guy in the room. Yeah. And uh, Rob's the loudest guy always. Always. So. <laughs> always. Well, to look at me sitting between the two of you guys. Got you're loud. Guns. Yeah. Way. You're, yeah. Loud, you're loud in a good way. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, Let's let's see how that ties in then with what you do now with the Honor Foundation, sure. you know, um, because you you and Lindsay and Will and everybody else that I've come into contact, Joe Laura, like you guys have a profound responsibility, and I'm sure that there are a lot of those people, you know, the the that guy that we're talking about right now that get into the Honor Foundation, and and you you guys are charged with taking them and doing deprogramming what's been what's been programmed yeah. you know so like tell me tell us some success stories about how you guys have really changed people's lives yeah so well i will i'll just share a couple from my perspective because um i'll allow the other campus directors and Lindsay to to talk about theirs in the future if need but from my perspective um you know anxiety is huge uh fear is a huge real thing for anybody transitioning from the military and the longer you spend in the worse it gets uh, because it's a fear of the unknown and for Marines, because we're such perfectionists and we always want to hit the target on the first pull of the trigger. Uh, you know, we hold, we hold ourselves, we're our, our own worst critic. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, for the first, first way that, that I, on the first night I say, Hey, look, there's no rank, there's no position in this classroom. I was like, when you get back inside the wire at, at the, at the command, you can play that game all you want. But when you come in here First names are a must. In fact, I learned that lesson the hard way with, with somebody we all know and love here locally who has helped me network a lot. Uh, and she was like, Dave, stop saying ma'am all the time to me. It's getting weird. And I go, I go yes, ma'am. Yes, she ma and she's like, stop it. And so I learned very quickly, like, you know, there is a bit of deprogramming that goes on. Of course, she was like, I appreciate the respect, but yeah. let's, let's not make it un uncomfortable. Um, 
So, yeah, no rank, no position. I don't want anybody coming to attention or parade rest when the colonel walks in and is addressing an E5. You better call him by his first name because this is this this is part of the training. Right. Right. And then we ask them to be vulnerable and we ask them to stand up and say, hey, what is your biggest challenge in transition? And I'll just use one quick example because I know I'm taking up a lot of time here. But, um, you know, I had an 05 um, Raider uh, stand up on on our panel, one of our panel nights and. Tom Eggleston, I uh, hope he doesn't mind me using his name, from Live Oak Bank, who's a great supporter of ours and a great guy and, you know, one of hometown boy from back in Richmond. Anyhow, Tom asked a question. He goes, hey, what is the biggest – you've been asking us questions all night. Let me ask you one. What is your biggest challenge? And this 05 Raider, you know, you, you can talk about all of his background and all that stuff. He stood up and goes, well, I'm just – it's fear. It's fear of the unknown. It's anxiety. It's, and Tom goes, man, I never thought I'd hear, hear a Marine say they were scared of anything. And, and – I kind of chuckled because I was like, oh, here it comes. Yeah. And he goes, look, man, he goes, for 26 years, I've been ultimately confident in me, my training, myself, my my abilities, my team, their training, their abilities. I knew the enemy. I knew the terrain. I knew my mission. And I was ultimately confident that we could tackle any challenge that came along. Now, I have no confidence in my ability. I don't even know if my skills translate. I have no idea about the terrain, the environment, and the enemy, which is the uncertainty. And Oh, by the way, I still have a mortgage, a family, car payments, people depending on me. Yeah. So there's a little bit of anxiety. Right. And, and he was like, Oh wow, I've never heard it put that way. And so that's, that's kind of how we, you know, have those successes is we get everybody in the same room and say from Oh five or Oh six to E five, you're all the same animal going through the same struggle. Yeah. Yeah. So to put that in context, you know, we, we, we had a great guest on earlier. Um, his name is Pat Fensom, and uh, his, his story was magnificent, much like yours. 31 years, command sergeant major, uh, Delta, just Green Beret, like all of it. And um, he's in, into performance now. And what he talked about was just the way he continues to sort of regulate that, regulate himself. Uh, through some wellness practices, because he he understands, like I think we all do in this room, that if you stop focusing on it, that fear will come back in, yeah. that anxiety will come back in. You know, you and I have had some really interesting conversations about maybe unusual tactics sure. to to regulate. Tell us a little bit about what it is that you do to to kind of keep yourself moving forward. Yeah. So the first thing is is my my. Uh, my story and my path is like turning a battleship rather than, you know, <laughs> rather than a canoe. So I have little changes every day and, and I'm, you know, fail all the time and you have to be comfortable in that failure. I've heard a lot of people talk about that, especially when getting into business, you got to embrace the failures. But, um, the biggest one for me, one of the biggest ones is sleep. Um, you know, we, we used to pride ourselves in lack of sleep and I'm sure, you know, you being in the reconnaissance community, uh, know about that but we used to pride ourselves on how less you know how we could operate on the least amount of sleep right uh well now it's like the sleep is what it not only recharges your battery but it makes everything else whole right um pt obviously is, is a huge thing i've been on meds i was on two med boards during my career and fought them both in one but and was able to retire on my terms but i've been on meds for a long time so just making sure that when you transition you've got a good medical support plan set up mm-hmm. And it, you can talk to any transitioning vet, and they can dial you in on how to get on that. Um, yeah, physical training and back off the alcohol. Um, mm. Again, that's, you know, being vulnerable here. That's yeah. something that, you know, I think a lot of guys, myself included, are like, you know, it 
it's almost a cultural thing. I don't want to, you can argue that, but, um, but that dependency on some way of unwinding and people talk about mindfulness, meditation. I got a funny story about the first time I got involved in meditation, but, um, but then there's, there's been some unconventional techniques that I've, I've done proactively, um, float tank, hormone replacement therapy, art therapy, um, and then some other unconventional stuff, which yeah. I, I don't know if we want to get in. But, but there are a lot of things out there that I have really benefited from, and I'm still exploring and, and looking forward to, to doing more of. Yeah. Yoga. Yeah. Uh, goat yoga. Have you done goat yoga? Is that, that's the yoga with the little pygmy goats, right? Yeah. 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 Dude, I have a hard enough time getting this body to do <laughs> yoga, bro. It's funny you mentioned sleep because poor Evan – well, maybe not poor Evan, but definitely poor Matt. Like, I, I operate on a very weird schedule. Yeah. Like, I go to bed early, and I'm up super early. And so, Matt, how many text messages on average will you say you receive between the hours of, like, 4 a.m. and 7 a.m. when you finally wake up? I would say, on average, 40 to 50. 40 to 50. But we broke a record the other day, on, earlier this week. I, I woke up at 530 because I always I don't wake up a second sooner than five thirty. Early, Evan. Ninety nine text messages between no. Evan and Robert Larry. Funny you say ninety nine because Wham is your favorite band, right? And their cover of ninety nine Red Balloons is your that's your jam. No, right? there's a there's a punk cover that's better. Than is that, that? Yeah. But, but Matt hates punk. I hate Matt punk. does hate punk. Matt does hate punk. What I thank you for sharing that day because what I what I so respect about you is your willingness to try new things yeah. and to seek stuff out. Oh, I tried. I've tried several things that didn't work. On act, and I'm not downplaying any of it. Works for some people, and that's the biggest thing: is don't measure yourself with anybody else's ruler. Yeah. Um, and we did that for tw- we did that for an amount of time in the Marine Corps because there is a set standard that you have to maintain, and that's the ruler you set your life by. Uh, don't do that anymore. You know, measure yourself by your pace, your pace count, and uh, and your achievements, and don't try to measure up to anybody else. You yeah. Just com- do you. Comparison's the thief of joy, right? And you're not, you're not going up for any more promotion boards or anything yeah. where you're fighting against all your buddies. Yeah. You know, now it's just you and, and the world. Yeah, our, our ribbons and, middles and medals in life now are, are our relationships. Um, and, and so you're, it's, it's much worse to, to not gain a relationship than it is to not get a medal or a ribbon. Yeah, dude, that's beautiful. That's perfectly said, man, and exactly exactly what our mantra with signal fire is so i appreciate you yeah for everything that you're doing in our community it's um, my pleasure you too dude you keep impact. doing this man this is going to be great we're going to really get this veteran community yeah. in wilmington tight yeah yeah get our arms around each other will you come back man can we have sure. you back on some yeah, some other absolutely. time all right excellent as long as my car doesn't get towed <laughs> yeah truck. it's a truck everybody. i parked it's right next car. to you so there gonna be two tundras just rolling down that's the middle right. of front street Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for us here on Signal Fire Radio. Thank you so very much to our guest, Dave Polaris, for joining us. To Evan the Muscle Hamster, Anderson, behind the glass on the ones and twos. And to Matt, I have an NBA my lot. I love you guys. Hey, listen, call your buddies. Evan made a point. Don't do 22 push-ups today. Send 22 text messages. Call your friends. And go be a Signal Fire out in this world. We'll talk to you next time. I need a